Welcome to the 91 Untold Change Project. I'm Neil Armand, your host for today. And in the 91 Untold studio today, I have David Smith Collins. Now, the reason we invited David to be part of the Change Project is, I guess for the last eight or so years, he's been a, a coach, a leadership consultant, change consultant, and I've had the, the pleasure of working with him over that time. But also before that, he was a, a senior police officer, uh, retiring as assistant chief. Um, he also now lives in Bahrain, which I think gives a, another dimension to the project as well, looking outside of the UK and, and the way that things work. And I think all of those three aspects, the, the consultancy, the police and the, the, the Middle East, have something to add to our project. So I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the 91 Untold Change Project. The whole universe is in a state of entropy. If you can unlock that higher motivation, they'll be with you. How do you create an environment where people can find meaning at work? That can create the needed culture change. How does radical change happen? You know it's a good business. In terms of our evolution, we were not required to have a conscious understanding of complex systems. What creates great innovation in the social arena? It does it for you taking action. Have some real sense of control over our lives. David, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Can we start off um, maybe with the police i know you were responsible for quite a lot of change projects mm. within the police so you were mm. seen as an innovator oh, uh, innovator to, that's yeah. interesting now, rather than troublemaker <laughs> okay well, it, it's all about perception i suppose <laughs> isn't it from my where i'm standing it was an innovator yeah but i know a lot of people saw the troublemaker side of things but yeah. what did you learn about change within an institution like the police as you were were working there um, wow. Well, that's a big question. Uh, I was in the police for 30 years or so. So a lot of change happened whilst I was there from, you know, I started in 1979. Um, it was a long time ago. I'm sure many of your listeners weren't even born in that time. Um, <laughs> I'd like to pretend I wasn't, if that's okay. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> the point is about change is that, you know, I've, I've, I suppose my whole life's been one long change and and for me it genuinely has been a constant you know there's there's never been a day where there hasn't been something changing and when I look back I've probably instigated a lot of that change and and you know the joke about are you an innovator or are you a troublemaker is a very valid thing because I always thought I was innovative I always thought I was creative I like to change things I like you know in the early days it was like make a change to prove that I, I was good and make a, make a change to show that uh, I could have a contribution, mm. particularly as I got promoted. But, um, you know, change for change sake happens a lot. And I was probably guilty of that in the early days. But, um, you know, as I, as I matured and as I, as I sort of like developed in, in experience, I realized that change was an essential attribute to any organization. And yeah, it, People didn't like it because the culture in the police, certainly in my early years, was we're not for changing. You know, this is the way we've done it. This is the way we've always done it. And this yeah. is the way we will always do it in the future. And if you try and rock the boat and if you try and instigate some form of change, you're seen as a troublemaker. And so how did you get around that? Were there any strategies <laughs> you used? Were there, there things you did? Cause I, everything I've seen when I've looked at your career is you actually did make quite a big yeah. impact. So you must have found ways to get beyond mm. those things? I think, I, I mean, looking back, I, I think I was quite an effective change agent. Um, 
you know, I've got the scars and the gray hair to prove it. Um, but how did I do it? Well, I think the first thing is you have to have an element of uh, frustration. I think you, you, you have to have the insight to, to identify, you know, what's important around here and how things could get better. You know, everybody wants things to get better. Yeah. But nobody wants things to change. And nobody really embraces change. You know, because they they see it as something painful, they see it as something you know that they've they've had scars from previous encounters where change hasn't perhaps been handled terribly well. So it's about it's about aligning the sort of going with the grain of human nature, I call it, all the time, and and to try and find um, a mandate for change. Right. So w- what what do you think needs to be changed from your own perspective, and and where can you get people to support you in that in that endeavour? And building alliances and build collaborative um, uh, uh, relationships to try and get the power to enforce the change. Right. So, and, and, and many, many, for many years, you know, I, I felt that I was swimming against a cultural change, a cultural tide that was against me. Um, and sometimes, you know, you, you go with the tide and you just say, you know, I just need a rest now. Let's just go with it. Let's roll with it at the moment and pick your battles accordingly. Sometimes it was about just getting stuck in and, and swimming as hard as you can and, and taking the, 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 the brickbats that come with that. So how did I do it? Well, I think I didn't always do it well. I think sometimes <clears throat> I made big mistakes, but there's learning in that. Um, but I, being reflective and looking back, I think it was about building alliance with people who have got both power and influence. You know, it's that whole power influence dynamic. Um, because, uh, and, and how to get significant people interested in what you're trying to achieve and, and getting them aligned at an emotional level um, so they could share your passion. So I think I've always been effective in, in, in causing change. And sometimes I've done it almost as an organizational terrorist. I've been the troublemaker. And, mm. you know, I, I freely admit that because it's about doing something spontaneous, which would make people stand up and, 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 and listen to you. Um, but over the years, I think I've developed sort of more of a, a, a process um, uh, of change management. And, um, you know, my, my greatest satisfaction is when people bring me in before change is about to happen. Okay. But I never get that commission. I never get that piece of consultancy. <laughs> you know, I get called in where there's been some significant change in organizations or there's a problem. And they've, they, in solving the problem, there has to be some form of change. Or they've tried to move the change forward, but I've got a backlash. Then my phone goes and I go into an environment which is often I've referred to as a panic environment. You've got managers who are used to not having change, environments where things have have been the same for many years. Something suddenly has happened to change that environment, change the landscape for them. And because there isn't an element of leadership in there, they're all managers, they're no leaders, um, they panic. So I can never really go in and, and change the frequency or the, the activity of change. What I have to do is try and increase the leadership dynamic. Okay. Um, so that's, that's more or less, I think, I suppose from, from learning, it's about understanding the importance of leadership within a change environment. That's, that's what I've learned since then. Okay. And, and so how do you do that? How do you change that leadership dynamic? Um, well, um, a lot of it is 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 to get people and um, and train them on leadership technique and and really and and teach the skills of leadership, but 
obviously leadership is important at every level in an mm. organization. So I normally start at the top. I mean, I normally stop at the board, at CEO level, at director level, at chief level, to try and get them um, to see the world as I would see it, right. to get them to buy in to the concepts that I'm trying to um, promote. And once I've done that, and, and, you know, that's not putting them on a course, that's doing one-to-one executive coaching normally. Yeah. And, and doing that leadership mentoring element to get them to see things from a, with a different uh, pair of eyes, to empathize, to, to understand, to, to feel the change that's, that's needed. And, and how also, did you do that? Because assuming this organization, mm, you, they've called you in because there is a problem. Yeah. From what I'm hearing and what you're saying, some of the problem at least probably lies at that top level. Mm. How do you get them to see it with a new set of eyes? So it's, for me, it starts at the top. Yeah. But then it, 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 it cascades through the organization. I don't say down the organization because I think in hierarchies particularly, you have to turn the hierarchy on its head in many respects to get the changes that you desire. Um, but, but really right down to front frontline uh, service providers, um, it's, it's a top to bottom or bottom to top approach in terms of developing leadership skills, leadership, um, a leadership mindset, really. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that, that's, that's probably the basis of, 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 of how I go about my consultancy approach. OK. And so if you're turning the hierarchy on its head, that interests me. Mm. How do you do that? How do you get because you can get that leadership mindset, but you also have to have permission effectively for people to lead within organization mm. otherwise it, it can lead to frustration mm. how do you avoid that or or what are those dynamics that you create that enable that change to happen well i think it's it's about um being able to um paint a picture with your words as to as to as to what the future might look like and and to ask questions simple yeah. questions about you know, especially to people who are in senior positions like what does the future look like for you what are your hopes what are your dreams what are your expectations? What are your fears? Um, and, and to get them, get them talking to me. Um, that's the most important thing I find is to get people to trust me enough to open and become almost vulnerable in terms of that, that mentoring approach. Mm. Um, so once I've got people trusting in a trusting environment, then I can, I can through asking simple questions, ask, get them to make, come to a realization of, of what the solutions might look like. It's not about me imposing my solutions on any organization. I try and grow solutions in a bespoke fashion within the organization using the leaders as, 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 as the raw material of that yeah. because they know their organization better than I will ever know it. Um, but it's, it's to get them to open up and, and have that visual, to, to see, to feel, to smell what success might look like. That's really important. Okay. Is that what you mean by getting people aligned at an emotional level? Yeah, I think so. I think it's about, you know, a lot of change is all about the sort of superficial levels of neurological thinking with changing the environment, changing the behaviors, changing the skill sets, um, putting people on courses to learn new, new, new ways of doing things. And to be honest with you, that has no impact on, on the leadership dynamic. Yeah. For me, I have to get down to the, the deeper neurological levels of values, of beliefs, and indeed to identity level. Yes. So what do people see themselves? Where do they see themselves in the organization? How do they, you know, consider, what labels do they put on themselves? Um, and can they see themselves as, as an integral part of that organization? Or they just, have they just got a job? Yeah. Is it just a position that they've, they've been promoted into? Um, and that's, I find that I can do that quite well. Um, 
you know, there's a lot of things I can't do. I can't repair your car if you have a problem. <laughs> I can't sort your plumbing out in your home and I can't rewire your house. But I can normally do executive mentoring quite well and deal with people on these issues and be convincing and um, create environments in which learning can take place. Yeah. And if I can take you back to the police then, because I forget how many people you had working for you uh, mm. when you were ACC. But it, a lot. It was a lot, wasn't it? And with mm. like four numbers strung together yes. or something like that. Um, can you think back, how did you create change? Because you, you seem to have a very loyal following amongst mm. the people who reported to you. Mm. Um, other senior officers perhaps found you a bit more of troublesome but not all <laughs> i'm trying to build that up like it's, like it's some dynamic or something i could um, tell you some stories yeah, that's for sure yeah, it's probably that's a completely different podcast <laughs> there probably too many beeps uh, in it as well um but think if you think back to to that time you had a thousand mm. say people working for you how did you align groups that size mm. or big organizational units mm around a change when you can't necessarily have that one-on-one -on -one impact on everybody it's, it's about it's about sort of like future making your organization future proof not trying to predict what's going to happen but facilitate an environment which was equipped to handle the uncertainty of the future okay so if you were a, a senior leader not necessarily in the police but uh, you're in an organization now how would you be implementing that proactive thought uh, you know about mm. where change is going to be needed what's you know what's going to be happening how we can get out ahead of it mm. if you like well I think the biggest issue for many leaders that I work with is the prevailing culture in which they're operating okay um, and, uh, and and the kind of organization that they that they've been promoted or, or, or advanced in to the positions of their of, of, of leadership of positions of power um, and if it's a hierarchy it's sometimes challenging for somebody to be protected in a stable hierarchy where they're you know they're in charge what mm. they say goes um perhaps minimal am amounts of, of of consultation and engagement not a lot of creativity going on um not a lot of feedback it's difficult to to, to step out of that and suddenly then go and ask people what could be improved without taking it personally. So a lot of this is about dealing with the individual. First of all, a leader in those positions need to address who they are okay. and how, you know, what needs to change about them. It starts with self. Yes. Before, before a leader can actually engage with anybody else on, a, on, on an agenda of change, I believe they have to really be honest and, and make themselves a little vulnerable, even if it's to themselves, about what the impact of change is going to be. Um, and if they're prepared to have the courage to take that forward. So it's always about self first. Okay. That sounds, that sounds really interesting. And I, that, that does feel like a really important part of leadership. And it's certainly one that I mm. share. What else creates a, a great leader or a great change leader, some, a leader capable of taking an organization through change? Well, I think they, you, you, you've just mentioned the word capability. I think, you know, to be an effective change agent, you, you have to be capable, you have to be competent in the environment that you're working. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, that's not always so with many leaders. Many people get a position because of family 
or, or, or maybe a connection or, or uh, lots of people get leadership positions because of the title rather than of the role and their, their, their ability. So I think there's something about competency in, in the environment that you're working. I think there's something about um, understanding and, and being self-aware, which I've already mentioned, but it's about having that emotional intelligence to be able to relate to other people in, in the environment you're working. Now, I'm not just talking about mm -hmm. your colleagues. I'm not talking about the stuff that work to you. I'm thinking about the, the per person that you're reporting to, your boss, but also the customers, the community that you're there to serve and provide the services to. And I, you know, emotional intelligence keeps coming up time and time again, particularly um, sociability, particularly mm -hmm. empathy, uh, particularly um, problem solving, um, motivation, um, all of the elements of, of emotional intelligence for me are critical in any senior leadership role. Um, and, and to be honest with you, it's the one that normally is lacking in many organizations. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I don't mean that in a horrible way. It's just that, you know, people aren't always promoted. Emotions, for example, um, empathy. You know, I've, I've heard people, I mean, I was told as a boy, you don't get too emotional. You never get on. Yeah. Boys don't cry. Don't get too empathetic. Don't, 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 you know, don't feel like that. I, you know, I work with lo uh, many, many senior women who throughout their career have been, uh, have been told, you know, don't show any emotions. Mm. Um, that's a barrier to your advancement. And you don't promote women because they're too emotional. For goodness sakes, you know, there's a complete taboo on emotions in the senior leadership these days. And, and the most effective leaders are the ones that actually can deal with emotions, yes. both in, the, in themselves and the emotions of others. And that, because that's the underpinning element to any motivation and any, anything connected with delivering performance. If you've got passion, if, you've got, if you're driven, if you've got emotion in, 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 in the environment you're working, you know, people are going to buy from you. People are going to follow you. And people don't even need to like you. If they believe that you have the passion and the belief <laughs> in what you're doing, you know, Brindle. Brindle says that you don't even need to le uh, like your leader. But if you believe that they believe in what they're doing, you'll follow them. So it's not a beauty contest. It's not a popularity contest. It's about having the passion and the drive and the authenticity to, to, to really feel what you're doing, to, to be part of that, of that movement. People will follow that. Yeah. As long as you communicate it, <laughs> as long as you empathize with people, as long as you explain to people with honesty that actually, do you know what? This journey is going to be painful. This, this is going to be difficult. It's not going to be easy. And there might be some casualties. People really do embrace that honesty and they'll follow you. Okay. And sometimes there is collateral damage, but people are prepared to accept. It's like taking a child for an injection. You know, you take a child to a doctor's. Mommy, daddy, is it going to hurt? No, darling, but, you know, it's going to be fine. If it just hurts one little bit, a child will scream at you and never trust you again till they're 16. <laughs> but if you tell a child, you know, it's going to really hurt, but I need you to be brave. Injection done. Where's my sweet job done? It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. And people are just the same. Yeah. Be honest with them. But it takes some courage to do that. I think that's really interesting, actually. And in the, the, the area of change, it does occur to me that most of the time people try to manage the processes and the systems mm. and not the people and certainly not yeah. the emotions not recognizing yeah. that for whatever reason this is going to bring up some emotions mm. let's map those emotions first of all and let's look at them in ourselves as well Definitely. in order to know whether we can and be with honest it. with self be honest with with others it's not a sign of weakness you know honesty 
the truth will defend itself in any organization so so front it up you know if we look at the the, the, mm. the you know the, this the significant change models kubler-ross tuckman um in most organizations even before change is occurring people will have suspicions about change and unless you are prepared to give them the information up front they will make it up they will make it up yeah and they will, will they will make you know emotions will rise and they will make it up and it will always in their mind and and the rumors will always be far worse than the reality yes so it's about popping that bubble in many respects and giving people as much information as you know and if you don't know say you don't know <laughs> you know don't lie don't make it up but i think that helps secondly is people will always go through a, a process of denial um and and you know we can deny and deny and deny. Sometimes that's where the honest conversation takes place. You know, when I was in the police, right in my early days, I had a, I had a job. It was the worst job I ever did. And it was basically giving people, I was like the death message officer. Okay. So basically, whenever there was a sudden death or an accident, my job was to go and tell the family that somebody had died. Um, now, when a, a uniformed police officer knocks on your door, in the early hours of the morning. It's never gonna be good, right? It's yeah. never gonna be good. And people used to open the door and before I even said anything, they, they were making suppositions. Who's who's died? Who's hurt? Is there a problem? Um, where's, where's my husband? Where's my son? Where's my daughter? And you had to you know, take people inside, get them settled before you actually told them. They, they'd come to all the conclusions. Yes. Even before I'd opened my mouth. Yeah. They'd, and, and half the time, it was, it was far worse than, than the reality, which was, bad enough once you told them people went through that anger that frustration and sometimes it was actually directed at me yeah um as the officer telling them the bad news and organizations are just the same people get upset people get frustrated but and they will get into a depressive state at some stage that happens with change before you come out and and and, and come out of, of that curve but the good news is this First of all, we know through evidence and research that people come out of those change curves, those change depressions at a higher level than they went in. Right. So it's true, change actually is good for you. What doesn't kill you genuinely does you good, unless it kills you, in which case it doesn't. <laughs> but secondly... <laughs> then you don't notice. <laughs> but the dip, the dip of depression, the dip of frustration, and the transition into, into an enlightened place can be reduced if people have active communication, coaching and mentoring support, and, and a, a, you know, authentic leadership. Yeah. And so we can go through the change. You know, we can't deny the fact that change will have pain, but we can reduce that pain by being proactive and, and doing things as leaders, which are tried and tested techniques. Um, you know, and people go on MBA courses and they learn all this, but why they don't apply it in, the, in, in, the, in their environments, it, it constantly, frustrates and astounds me this stuff works it's not it's not just theory yeah i think well I, I know you're right that's why i do what you do and i think that's really important yeah. and you know mindfulness has suddenly become a big thing well it's it's no big thing it's been around for thousands of years the concept of living for today um uh, and and doing the best today that you possibly can um and i think sometimes we've lost the plot a little bit yeah. Uh, because I see things happening now nationally, internationally. Old thinking, uh, too much trying to predict the future and not enough time spending on the here and now. And I think in any change environment, any leader has to be able to 
be mindful of the future and learn from the past, but to deal with the here and now. Yes. And 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 that takes a little bit of mentoring sometimes to get people to focus on bring the brain back to let's get it yeah what you're going to do today you know how about today how about this morning how about the next hour how about the next conversation let's let's just get focused on what's happening here and now now if we do that i truly believe that the future will look after itself right um and and because change is going to happen whether you like it or not and, and in many respects, I, I, sometimes I use the, the metaphor of uh, electricity. If you get electricity, the flowing electricity will, if you put it through a light bulb, give you a light. All right, it's beautiful. Switch the light bulb on, you get light because it's flowing. The electricity is flowing. So the electricity being the communication, the engagement, the dialogue, the minute you stop any of that and you put a block in any electrical circuit, sooner or later, you're going to get a spark. Now that spark those sparks are the, are, that's my raw that's what i yeah. that's my day job i deal with organizations that are sparking because there's no communication there's no engagement people have stopped talking there's too much suspicion too much rumor so the sparks there's a lot of heat but no light so you have to get people talking again yeah. and, and certainly if you're talking about politics big p politics or small p politics the minute you stop engaging the minute you stop it, um, listening the minute you stop communicating i think that's when the problems start genuinely cool well i i hear what you're saying about being in the now and i think that is really important and working with those sparks going back a little bit to what you were talking about before when i was hearing about the the leader and then need for a vision and mm. to to take people on that journey i hear everything you say about you and i can't predict the future and therefore i'm going to ask you to predict the future because mm -hmm. Hey, I'm a rebel. Um, but if you look at the marketplace right now, look at the world mm. right now, I know we can't predict what's going to happen, mm. but there are some trends that I'm mm. sure you're observing or watching. Yeah, are there particular businesses, sectors, occupations that you think are going to be obsolete or have to change mm. massively? And perhaps similarly in the Middle East, I'm very interested in that perspective of what changes do you see happening over there? Wow. Okay, well, if I, if I think of the industries that I work in now, and, and it's a cross-section, everything from the financial sector to health to education, um, I think there are some really exciting times ahead. I mean, really exciting times ahead. We are seeing more creativity and innovation than we've ever seen. Um, the young are coming out of schools and universities, um, uh, not prepared to accept the status quo and wanting to 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 to, to really make a difference um, they don't look at one career now it's like a series of of, yeah. of, of of different careers through you know that's how they see their world which was different to how I saw it I was told get a get a job with a pension and and, and stick it even if you hated it you stick it um, <laughs> but young people don't see that anymore it's, it's different but I think we need to push that even further. So I, I predict that it's going to be more innovative and creative for the future. But I think we're not doing our young people a particularly good service in the education systems globally yeah. in terms of encouraging young people to think differently, to think out of the box. It's still about tests, passing exams and learning, learning things by rote. I don't think that's a terribly helpful way. And they're not, they're, you know, I deal with a lot of um, 
graduates and, and uh, you know, young people coming out of universities that actually aren't fit for work. So a lot of my programs is focused on, on equipping these people to be able to handle today's environment because their education system has failed them in, in many respects. And I'm doing a lot of work with teachers at the moment and with schools to try and create more innovative and creative thinking. Um, and particularly a more inclusive environment where people with challenges such as dyslexia or other, other, other uh, ways that people have difficulty learning aren't, aren't sort of identified and, and stigmatized but included in our thinking. Um, so I think in terms of the future, it's exciting, but I think there's a lot to do in terms of yeah. the way we are educating our young people to equip them for the future. Still a lot of old thinking going on in, in the education systems. So um, I, I certainly think that, that technolo technological advancements are going to be um, uh, at the forefront. And, and that permeates every industry that I'm working in, from oil and gas through to financial to banking, through to health, and it, it's incredible, the advances there. But there is clearly, for me, a disconnect with the human side. And some people call it soft skills, but the ability to actually to, 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 to engage with customers, engage with communities, I think there, is a, there are gaps and I think that's really dangerous. I yeah. think it's dangerous from an economic point of view, but also from a social point of view, that the gaps are increasing. So the rich appear to be getting richer and the poor appear to be getting poorer. And that is not a recipe for health, prosperity and, and, and security. So I think there needs to be some form of leveling off here uh, for the future, whatever, whatever that might look like. I'm not saying I've got the answers, but I do worry <laughs> about the gaps. The yeah. gaps are, are, um, are, are, are getting greater. The big thing that I worry about is the growth of arms, uh, the growth of the the arms, the arming of of countries, and and you know, the, the, you know, for me as a pacifist, it, it really I have an issue with that, and I just you know I'm saddened with the amount of money that is invested um, in in uh, arming countries, arming. Uh, people generally across the board, you know, whilst if you had a, a child in front of you that needed a meal and, and a, another person there that you could spend buying a gun, why, why would anybody, why would anybody buy the gun when the child is hungry? And, you know, I do a lot of work in India, in, 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 in the Far East, in Africa, and I, I, these gaps, it, it's painful to see. And you think it, we could do better as humanity in terms of, of, of the things we, we should be changing. Now, yeah. I'm not going to change that as one person. <laughs> I'm not. But, you know, I have a bubble of people around me. I have people I work with in senior positions. I have friends. I have family. I have, I have um, you know, uh, colleagues. Um, uh, they know where I'm coming from. Yeah. Uh, and, and I try and do what influence I can in terms of helping to direct the change in the future. But, you know, who am I to say what the future should look like? I'm seeing it from my map of the world, from my bubble. And everybody has the right to try and influence the future but can we do that with with tolerance and respect so we can all at least live together and survive together in a peaceful environment built on trust love and respect now for me that's more important than knowing where the next mobile phone's going to come from and what it's going to look like well we we definitely agree with you on that and that's part of our frustration as well can i take you back to the the arming of of countries mm. and that sort of thing and and the, the stuff you put in after that and the choices that need to be made mm. between buying that gun and feeding that child mm. is there a way of what what learnings can we take from that because at that level it's just a frustration mm. because 
we feel powerless to actually change it. We can mm. only be bystanders on that. If we take that into an area that we maybe do have an influence, an organization or our own lives, are there lessons that can be taken from that or choices that can be, be made from that 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 can empower us? How, mm. In other words, how do we get out in these big frustrating issues that we have mm. today with a, a sense of being at course and, and some level well, of pain. I, and I think, I think there is always that danger that you feel that it's just too big. What can I do? But actually, that's, that's self-limiting. Um, so what I do with a lot of the organizations that I work with, and I do this with my own organization, I, I take the values in terms of the way we do a business. Um, and I, I, I mean, a lot of people call this CSR, um, but you know, for me, it's about the giving part of organizations. So what can we do outside the economic demands of, of, of fulfilling our targets and, and profitability in an organization, but at the same time, take those values into the community and give back? Now, I'm not just saying give money back because I think that's the easy bit. Yeah. For me, giving back is actually, you know, whilst I'm doing so much mentoring with senior managers who are paying for it, I'll mentor some unemployed people or some homeless people or people with, 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 with little opportunity. I'll give my time. That's the most precious thing that I can give. Yeah. You know, I can't buy any extra time. What I, what I don't use, I'm going to lose. I can't bank it and I can't, I can't replace it if I, if, I haven't, if I haven't got enough. So for me, giving time to those endeavors and a giving agenda uh, a CSR um, uh, agenda is so important in every organization uh, has the capacity to do that. But that's my hope. And that's, that's where I'm trying to change. But you know what? Change is difficult, right? Because <laughs> my diary is full and to try and engineer that time to do that. You know, I, I often say to people, you think change is easy, right? And you're in a big change program in your organization. I tell people to fold their arms, you know, fold your arms, do it now, right? Easy, fold yeah. them the other way. Yeah. yeah, you've done that to me before. You get my point? Yeah. <laughs> and then, but, but we do things automatically and we are rewarded, you know, automatically to, to do that through, you know, that homesthesis that keeps us doing yeah. predictable things. The hormonal response that we get by doing things predictably is difficult to overcome. If you can't, if you can't fold your arms a different way without feeling some disquiet, some confliction, how are you going to change your organization? How are you going to change the world? How are you going to change anything? I'll work on it. I'll work on my arms. I promise. But yeah. that's the point. Exactly. We are psychologically and hormonal and, and, and everything is predicated about consistency. That hunter-gatherer psychology is, is, is our burden. And we have to overcome that. So keep practicing the <laughs> arms, please. I like that. that I like the, the balance in what you're saying around bringing consciousness to that giving yeah. agenda but also a freedom to it because sometimes people can get so trapped in am i doing the right thing i was listening to i think it was prince harry the other day talking about being taken out litter picking with charles mm. and um how he thought surely everyone does this mm. because that's what mm. they were were used to doing mm. but some things are so easy to do and so easy not to do them yeah as well and i'm yeah. hearing in what you're saying that wonderful energy of well, just do it yeah i'm also seeing I, i'm interested in i think in in a question a sort of lastish question really um about resilience to change and how people develop resilience to change and i'm, I'm hearing in that csr agenda that giving thing the the way you started that was starting off from these big 
arms, I can't help on that, but I can make a difference mm. to this. I'm, I'm hearing a sense mm. of agency there, and, and that probably will help resilience to change. Mm. Any other thoughts on how someone gets out ahead of change, knowing change is going to be happening anyway, mm. and builds their resilience? Whatever's happening in your life, the one thing you have influence on is you can change. You can change the tidiness of your desk. You can change the order in your garage. You can change the cleanliness of the inside of your car. You can change the pen that you write with. Do some form of change that makes you feel good, that makes you feel somehow empowered and build on that change. Change should evoke more change. We should evoke more change, not in a chaotic way, but in a mindful and progressive and systemized process of change. And then change starts small, but it can go anywhere, any direction. And that's for me is the exciting part about change management. Fantastic. I was going to ask you another question, but that just seems the perfect place to finish this conversation. Well, the quality of your questions are so enormous. I don't want any more questions. <laughs> I don't want any more. Stop it right now. <laughs> Will do. D David, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure as ever. I look forward to the adventures ahead and good luck with everything. Thank you. It's been good. I've enjoyed it. Wonderful. Bless you. Now, clear off. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode. Uh, if you've enjoyed it, please subscribe. Uh, and if you're willing, take a moment to leave us a rating or review. This podcast is also video recorded. So if you want to see our guests in glorious Technicolor, please head over to YouTube. Uh, I believe it's youtube.com forward slash 91 untold. But as with all our social accounts, just search for 91 Untold or the 91 Untold Change Project, and I'm sure you'll find us. Now, of course, this is intended as a project, so if you want to get involved in the discussion, we'd love to talk with you. Uh, please head over to Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or Twitter, um, and join the conversation. <laughs>